And welcome back, everybody, to the Hangout in the Holy Land. That's the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your co-worker's favorite Ohio State news and athletics website. Uh, we are recording this show here on the afternoon of Tuesday, January 24th. That means you will probably be listening to this on Wednesday, January 25th, which is notable because it is a week before probably the, the, the single biggest event in the college football calendar that doesn't have anything to do with an actual football game uh, and, and one that is of particular note and importance to Ohio State fans. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about National Signing Day. Uh, I am your host, Matt Brown. I am the managing editor of LandGrantHolyLand.com. I also am one of the SB Nation College League managers. I'm a help in charge of all of the SB Nation College blogs. I am joined by my regular co-host, Mr. Colton Denning. Colton, how are you today? Matt, this is the second podcast I've recorded today, so my blogger muscles right now, I'm just flexing. Man, you, just, you must be, Flexing on everybody right now with so, my blogging skills. You must be so swole at this point. I'm recording in a basement, too. Ooh, that's pretty good. Normally, I record the show <laughs> from... Uh, one of our uh, one of our conference rooms or our podcasting studio, if I'm lucky, if the grownups at Fox.com aren't using it. But because the weather was complete crap today, uh, I decided to just stay home. And so we are recording this here from my living room in Hyattsville, Maryland, which isn't the SB Nation offices, but like the spot, it's still good. Well, I want to talk to you. A, I mean, there's there's a, there's a bunch of interesting things that are going on right now within the world of, of Ohio State athletics. But the, the biggest one here is is National Signing Day. It's coming up on, on a week, and uh, I, I'm sure that you, the listener, are, are aware of what this day is. But on the, on the off chance that you're not, that you're not somebody who uh, regularly follows the ins and outs of recruiting, and for that I commend you, that makes me think that you are a more well-balanced uh, an individual with perspective. So what this is, this is the first day that high school recruits can fax in their paperwork. And I say fax because this is like the only day of the year uh, when people still use fax machines. Uh, fax in their paperwork and officially become members of uh, their various schools' athletic programs. You know, coaches aren't, aren't, can't really comment directly on the kids, and this shuts down their recruitments, and they're officially uh, members of each team. There's there's a couple of kids who may, who may not sign letters of intent and, and fax that paperwork on Wednesday, but generally, just about everybody does that. And so then Ohio State's 2017 recruiting class is solidified. And um, as I'm sure you're aware right now, Ohio State's recruiting class, as of this recording, is not just good. It's not just good for Ohio State standards. It's historically good on paper. This is going to be the greatest recruiting class Ohio State has ever signed, uh, even if it's a teensy little bit less impressive than it was maybe last week because a couple of players had their uh, recruiting rankings readjusted after some camps and their final assessments. It has a chance of being the best recruiting class in the country, something Ohio State has never been able to accomplish. That's probably not going to happen this year just because this is a smaller recruiting class. Last year, Ohio State had essentially half their roster as freshmen uh, or with freshman eligibility, and when you're carrying that many underclassmen, you don't have that much room. So uh, the Buckeyes currently have 19 commits and uh, will finish. I would be surprised if they sign more than 21 kids. Uh, in, in this recruiting class, unless there's just uh, some unexpected, unplanned for roster attrition. We can dig into the specific kids here in, in a second. But, but Colton, as somebody who I know is also a national college football enthusiast, um, what do you think about National Signing Day? Is, are you excited about this? Do you think it's weird? Do you get up for it? Like, what 
what is your feeling about uh, next Wednesday when all of this goes down? I'm a fan of it. Like outside of the part where it's kids signing away their next three or four years to not make any money. Like other than that part, I, I do really enjoy it. And I think that it's it's good for college football. And I think that we'll definitely hear on Wednesday when some recruit does something wild or switches teams, there's certainly going to be my columns, national signing days for prima donnas and, and these kids going out of their way to showcase that it's all about me. But like, this is the first time really that these kids kind of get to have that individuality and, and have the power of, of their choice because they're not going to really get to have that for the next three or four seasons. And so I, I think it's a moment for them. That's cool. I think for the fans, especially like if, like you said, if you're an Ohio state fan, you get to look at this class and think that this may be the best class on paper in the school's history and maybe the best class in the country. So I think that it's cool from that perspective. And so it's something I enjoy, but something that uh, I think you don't have to take, too seriously but certainly as we've learned over the years it's a very important day if you want to win a national championship or a conference championship so it definitely has its place in the college football hierarchy yeah it's you know i i i think you can be forgiven if you don't want to live and die by the various ups and downs of the recruiting process throughout the year. If you do, you're in luck because we write about that stuff all year long on Land Grant Holy Land. There's a recruiting post that goes up every morning so you'll know what's happened. But if you're just, I mean, like this, this is extremely important if, you know, for the long-term health of your program, because if you hope to win a national title, you need to hit a certain um, minimum recruiting threshold. There are kids who are three, two and three stars who will become excellent college football players and first round draft picks. That's true. But the teams that sign the most four- and five-star players are the ones that typically win conference championships, win games over kids, schools that have less you know, four- and five-star prospects, get, the, get those kids into the NFL, and ultimately win national titles. And if that's the threshold here, uh, Ohio State's in luck because of all these 19 kids, 18 of them are blue chippers. And the one who isn't is a kicker. And he's the best kicker in the country and would get a, if there wasn't such a thing as blue chip kickers, he would be a blue chip kicker. So they are easily clearing that threshold. One, one thing that I've really grown to appreciate about National Signing Day as an Ohio State fan is that generally this is not a drama filled day for, for, for people who care about the Buckeyes. Uh, you know, there's there's been a couple of exceptions over the last couple of years. I think Von Bell his announcement was the biggest one. But generally, Ohio State's got their class pretty much locked up well before National Signing Day. And uh, I would think that there's going to there's be a couple of Buckeye targets that are going to announce on that actual day. Uh, my guess is at this point most of them don't pick Ohio State, and there might be one kid uh, who, who ends up announcing that he's going with the Buckeyes. And obviously this is a week out and, and, and some things can change. But it's generally not – an overly dramatic thing. I can look at this right now and feel reasonably confident about what the makeup of Ohio State's class is going to look like. And that's not the case everywhere. Uh, you know, Texas last year, I, I think, was a big example. There are some other recruiting, uh, other schools, other recruiting classes that tend to fill up a lot more near the end of the season, uh, especially those like uh, like a Nebraska uh, or a Utah or some of these schools out west where you're not able to as easily get kids in for official visits earlier in the year. Uh, and so you're trying to kind of make everything up in that in the last couple of weekends. Uh, then it's a, it, it can be a more stressful and chaotic experience. So you know, since we have to oversee all of these things, 
I'm going to be running around with my hair on fire either way. But I've come to appreciate that at least for land grant and and for the 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 fan base or the the football program that I'm you know I personally care about. You don't have to sweat this too much. You know, a lot of the action is going to happen early in the morning. We're going to break it down on the website, but by eleven o'clock in the afternoon Eastern, the the fireworks should mostly be over. Well, and I think too, there have been. A, it feels like, and maybe this is just like a vocal minority, but you you talk about how Ohio State, for the most part, in the last couple of seasons or since Urban Meyer's been around, basically. It's been a quiet day. Von Bell was really the only one, like you brought up, that I can think of. I remember I was making toast while he was making that announcement. That was a good morning. It was a good breakfast. But um, <laughs> there's been maybe like some small complaints about that, like, oh, Alabama's still pulling in guys. Why can't why can't we pull in guys? Like, if there's one class where Ohio State fans can't complain about that, it's this one. And you look at it on twenty four seven right now. Everybody's a blue chip, even the kicker, like you mentioned. The only reason he's a three-star is because he's a kicker. There's five consensus five-stars right now. So, like, it's nice that this is all wrapped up, and Ohio State basically has everything that they want from this class. Maybe they, they want another wide receiver, but I think that for the for all intents and purposes, it's wrapped up. Everything's done. You have, what, nine kids who are already enrolled in the school. So I think it's just business as usual, and – it's a pretty damn good time to be an Ohio State fan, especially when it comes to the recruiting aspect. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you, let's talk a little, just very briefly. I want to get into some of these specific kids and, and their position groups. And, and we've written about this on Land Grant a little bit over the last couple of days, and we'll continue to do that this week. If you're listening, I'm, I'm sure you're also a regular reader. But what I think is going to be interesting is the, the first couple of years in the Urban Meyer era, know that that Ohio State's coaching staff talked a lot about the need to play younger players. And, you know, I, I, when, when we hear the press conference next Wednesday, you're going to hear Urban Meyer talk about how, you know, we recruit these kids to play. And then most of them didn't. And it became kind of a running joke. And that changed a little bit last year. I mean, and for the 2016 season, just because now, you know, there, there weren't a gajillion NFL first and second rounders on the, on the two deep. This year, I think, is going to be more similar. Especially, I think, within the secondary, um, where you're going to see some of these kids coming in and making the two deep relatively quickly, a couple of them potentially even starting, uh, probably not by week one, but by my by the middle of the year, uh, I, I think that that's certainly a possibility. And it, part of it is just is just be out of need. Ohio State's losing basically their entire secondary for this year, and the good news is that this is bar none the most loaded secondary recruiting class in the country, including whatever Alabama, whatever Florida State, certainly whatever Michigan is doing. Um, a couple of names here, I think, to, to watch for. The Buckeyes have the number two and number four overall defensive backs in the country in this, in this class, and both of them have already enrolled. Jeffrey Okuda uh, out of uh, South Grand Prairie in Texas and Sean Wade out of Trinity Christian Academy in Jacksonville, Florida. I... Both of those, I, 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 they, they have some nice size. Ohio State is is, is changing more into uh, a defensive system that I think favors some some slightly taller defensive backs. And uh, I would look for both of those two guys to play either as backups or you know in in, in nickel or dime formations, and certainly on special teams very early. Uh, you know, I, I'm watching those two, and I'm watching Isaiah Pryor, who's a high four-star safety, uh, as guys that I think are going to be able to contribute. 
right away. Is there, are there anybody, those, and those are all early enrollees, so they're, they're starting to get the, you know, that practice, that Mariotti weightlifting time in right now. Are, are there other players, either early enrollees or just generally that you look at and you think, not? I mean, like, not only am I excited about this dude, like, this is a guy that's going to be playing right away? Well, like you mentioned, those, those three dudes, I think, are, are the, the easiest answers, not only just in terms of that they were early enrollees, that a guy like Jeffrey Okuda looks like he already fits the part of a college, you know, a high-level college athlete right now, and it's a position of need for Ohio State. So they're going to have to count on those guys, starting with special teams, and then whether it's injuries or ineffectiveness to step up and replace some of what they lost in the defensive backfield. I think that sticking with that, Kendall Sheffield, the kid out of Blinn College, the JUCO, not a lot of JUCOs for Ohio State since Meyer has joined and a couple reasons why I think he could be kind of that guy to step in and make make the biggest impact immediately is one he's a JUCO kid he's kind of he already has that experience he came from Alabama so I don't think he's gonna go through as many of the same struggles as a lot of these freshmen are that the coaches talk about with them hitting the wall and kind of having to be broken down when they come from you know a high school program where they're probably the best player, if not in their school, then their district and their state. He already kind of has that experience coming from Alabama and then playing in a JUCO as well. So I think that he'll be ready to go from a physical standpoint. And he was a highly touted guy coming out of high school and the JUCO ranks. So he's a name that I would look out for too with the rest of those defensive backs. And then on the offensive side of the ball, Kind of under the radar, a guy that I'm really looking out for and we've talked about before that just committed recently is Jalen Harris, the receiver out of Cleveland Heights, 6'5", 210. We've beaten it to death ad nauseum about the receiver position and needing to step up. This kid is a true receiver, and like his, his stats from high school aren't that great just because it sounds like he was getting double and, and triple covered every time they were on the field. But you watch him, and he certainly has the physical tools to step in and be a player right away. So those are the two guys that I would look for to kind of step up and make an impact beyond those three other defensive backs that are early enrollees. Yeah, uh, Sheffield also really jumps off there. I think we specifically penciled him in to be a starting cornerback. It's interesting, over the last decade, Ohio State hasn't really recruited very many JUCO players. And now under Urban Meyer, they're kind of looking at taking maybe about one a class. And for a lot of the upper-tier Big Ten schools, that's about how it is. Penn State doesn't recruit JUCO athletes very often. Michigan doesn't recruit JUCO athletes very often. Northwestern, I don't think, really does at all. It's it's rare at Wisconsin. Uh, You know, part of that is academically. Generally, if a kid is a JUCO kid, either they they had a a transfer go wrong or they weren't academically prepared immediately or or they weren't good enough at football and they they wanted to, you know, to go to a JUCO to to kind of boost their stock a little bit. I don't think that was the case here with Sheffield, but that's part of the reason why they're, you know, there's not as many JUCO kids that you you can go after. And because they have limited eligibility, you know, there, there's there's a higher risk factor. You don't want to be turning over a third of your roster every two years, which is what's happened with Kansas and, and some of these other schools that, that go really heavy on JUCOs. But when you, you bring those guys in, you, you expect them to produce immediately because there's not a whole lot of time. I'm, I don't, I'd be a little bit surprised if, if uh, the Buckeyes go deep into that well for – next recruiting class but it is interesting to see that as a as a supplement i want to talk very briefly about the conference here as a whole before we 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 dig into a couple other things so ohio state i would be pretty surprised this is still technically possible but i would be pretty surprised if any school passes them for number one um 
in the conference recruiting rankings. And the only way that's going to happen is if Michigan, who's going to sign a very big recruiting class this year, um, 28, maybe maybe one or two more, just because they, they've lost so many kids, they might be able to pass them in pure number, but certainly not on a pure prospect, like a, a prospect uh, individual basis. You know, stars per prospect, Ohio State are going to do much better. Um, and then there's really a pretty significant gap as you would expect between Ohio State and Michigan. And I'm curious for you, Colton, if there are any particular like surprises you think, uh, you know, school and class wise or players in somebody else's class that you look at and go, we should keep an eye on this guy in the Big Ten. He might really be something. I don't know about specific players, but like what the hell is Maryland doing in the top twenty? And I realize that twenty four seven and other recruiting sites kind of they, they give you points for not only quality of players, but quantity. And, and Maryland has 28 kids in their class right now. And seven of those kids are, are blue chip four-star players, but 23 stars. And I think that you look at that class and maybe there's not a ton of guys who, who jump out to you, but given the way that program's kind of gone in the last couple of seasons, and I know that they've been in the mix for some high-level players, especially in the DMV area over the last few years. But the fact that they've been able to put together, I think, a, a very solid class really pretends well for them going forward. And Penn State is, is another school, nine four-star kids, nine threes, 18 total commits as of right now. We can say what we want about James Franklin and whether or not they'll take a step back a little bit next season, but I definitely think that they've kind of upped their recruiting game to where it was three or four years ago, and they're, they're certainly a player right now. So those are the two schools in the Big Ten that I'm really uh, looking out for and I think have done a nice job on the trail this season. I, I this, this is like the, the hot take that I'm prepared to step out, step out here on um, because there really hasn't been a lot of evidence for this on the field the past couple of seasons. But like I think I'm prepared to talk about like a, a pretty good Maryland football team starting like next year. And one of the things that I've really liked that Maryland football has been able to do over the last couple of recruiting classes, I think that they're really emphasizing what you need to do to be successful in the Big Ten East, and that is get high-level athletes on your offensive and defensive lines. Because Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan, and really Michigan State too until about last year, have one thing that they all have in common is just dominating, relentless, nasty pass rushes and, and interiors on their defensive lines. If you can't block... There's nothing. There's all your your athletes and all your other skill is, is basically moot. Uh, and they've recruited a couple of blue chip guys, uh, including I think a five star on their offensive line the past couple of years. They've been really young. Uh, I like what they're doing that for this class. You've got you know Marcus Miner, four star guard, Jordan McNair, four star tackle, Cam Spets, uh, you know four star defensive tackle. Uh, you know just down the road here from our office uh, in D.C. Uh, Miner plays at Dematha Catholic, which is one of the one of the very best high school football programs in the country, a place where Ohio State has also heavily recruited. That's just down the street from my house. Uh, and they're, they're all very, I mean, like I live, you know, a mile and a half from College Park. Uh, and there's a couple of kids who I think, you know, Deion Jones or Marquise Bell, these are four-star guys that probably would have been Buckeyes uh, if Ohio State had a little bit more room. But they're, they're that caliber of player. So if you're able to, to build a line that can, that can block a little bit, you don't need to necessarily have four-star running backs or four-star wide receivers if you're able to get efficient quarterback play. And Maryland hasn't had that in a long time. It took a step forward this year. I would look at this, these developments, not, not that I think Maryland's going to like beat Ohio State next year or anything. Ohio State has crushed them every single season. But uh, 
are these developments that will help Maryland get to like fourth in the Big Ten East and, and win eight games and be a thing again? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's next year, but I think I think it's coming soon. Matt, what do Oregon State, Minnesota, Iowa State, Illinois, and Rutgers all have in common? Other than that they're bad. That would have been my guess, that, 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 that they're all bad. What do they all have in common? All of those schools are ahead of Iowa right now in the 24-7 composite rankings. And Iowa sits at 52, and they have one five-star. And I know they haven't always recruited at a high level, or they've really never recruited at a high level. But you just kind of wonder what – the next two or three years, if they continue to recruit like that. And I think that with the West and, and how they've kind of picked up recruiting a little bit, I, I think that Minnesota under PJ Fleck is going to start not getting elite classes, but start getting better classes with the way that he uh, identifies with kids and brings talent in. And Nebraska, I think has kind of hit a nice little groove with their coaching staff and being able to bring in some California kids. We see Ty John Lindsay, the former Ohio state commit going to Nebraska. So, not that Iowa's going to completely fall off a cliff, but I think that it's definitely worrisome if you're a Hawkeyes fan to look at their recruiting in relation to other teams in the Big Ten West. Yeah, uh, I, I would, you know, I, it's them and Northwestern that I think would should be the most nervous about Minnesota hiring PJ Fleck because you know th- this 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 recruiting class it's not going to not going to set the world on fire and it's almost already full with the Gophers. They basically just grabbed half of Western Michigan's class, which was better uh, than what Tracy Clays had set up. But then they're going to be a lot more competitive for some of these kids that Iowa and Northwestern were going after. And, and Fleck, I think, has some room to grow as a coach. But that's just going to make that division much harder for that middle class. And uh, I don't think either Iowa or Northwestern, in addition, like Northwestern is not a terrible recruiting program given their what they are and their limitations. Iowa kind of is. But Iowa, you know, at least can hang their hat in a track record of developing certain position groups. Um, but the, both of them have been able to get the kind of success that they've had in part because of a really mediocre conference schedule. So those are going to get tougher uh, with Fleck, and they're going to get tougher as Nebraska you know, recalibrates with uh, – you know, this is actually a pretty decent recruiting class for Nebraska. It's not as good as they had wanted. They've struck out on a couple of uh, wide receivers and a couple of Western kids. And, um, but you know, if, if, if the status quo that was good enough for 7-5 in 2015 – is probably not going to be good enough to get to seven and five in 2018. The way. They- well, and on the point of Nebraska, I think that they're they're getting to a spot where not that you know the coaching staff is in jeopardy. I think they've they've done a nice job in two seasons, but you know they they are bringing in the best classes in the West for the most part, and I think that there's no excuse for them over the next two or three years to not make the Big Ten title game with some of the talent and especially the skill position talent and the defensive back talent that they're bringing in. So I'm definitely interested to watch how Nebraska kind of develops over not only next season, but the season afterwards, because there isn't any reason that, that they shouldn't be in that contention or playing in Indianapolis or wherever the Big Ten decides to hold their Big Ten championship games over the next decade, because they have the most talent in the in the West. Yeah. The you know I think if they're not able to make a run in the division title in a year or two, um, that's a real indictment <laughs> on, on on that coaching staff. Um, if you're going to make a move, I mean it, it might be trickier now. They're about to do a, a quarterback transition, um, but eventually you, you need to be able to make one. Um, I had one other question I was talking with you about off air before we wrap up because we're we're running a, a little bit longer than I anticipated. But I saw this really interesting question on Twitter. Wanted to get your opinion about it. 
So it has been, I guess, over 20 years now. It was 1996 was the last time we had a first time ever football national champion. That was when Florida won their first championship. And every other champion since then has won at least one other title. So we're wondering, one, when are we going to see a team win their first ever national title? And how long is that going to be? Um, I have, I have, I have the, the list here pulled up, and, and you'd be surprised uh, about some teams that are mm, not that great, you would think, that, that have a, a, at least a, you know, a credible claim to a, a national title. You know, the, do you know which school off the top of your head claims the, uh, the most national championships? I didn't until we talked about it. The Princeton Tigers. That's right. Princeton, 28. Yale claims 27. Alabama, uh, the, the butt of all of our jokes about claiming national titles that they have uh, dubious claims to, has 16. The Buckeyes, of course, claim 8. 1942, 54, 57, 61, 68, 70. And then my personal favorites, because I was alive for them, 2002 and 2014. That is one more than Harvard, Minnesota, Oklahoma, and Penn, and one less than Pitt. Um, yeah, you know, looking through here, you know, Cal has five. Uh, Illinois has four. Excuse me, has five. Iowa claims four, which, okay, <laughs> sure. Um, Army's got three. Ole Miss says they've got three. I don't know about that. Uh, the Chicago Maroons claim two. Um BYU's got one. Boston College has got one. Maryland's got one. So I'm wondering, is there anybody that uh, doesn't have one of these that you think could could potentially win a national title in the next 15, 20 years? I'm disappointed that TCU's on the list, and that's from way back when because I think that you look at one of those Texas schools, and I'm not going to add Texas Tech into that, but a a team like TCU that's in that Dallas-Fort Worth area, a lot of talent around that now that they're in a power five situation and with their current coaching staff, they've shown that they can reach that level before. So I would have taken them if they weren't on the list, but the one that immediately comes to my mind that's had success over the last 25 years is Virginia tech. And they're in a very recruiting rich area. I think that Justin Fuente, and this is something you were talking about in the slack today is not, not an up and coming coach anymore. He is definitely the guy and one of the better under heralded coaches in the nation and do I think they could win one in the next 10 years probably not but with the way their recruiting is and they play in kind of a weak division so they have the path to get there I think that they step out to me as as the most likely that can do it but honestly I'm not sure especially now with the extra game added because of the semifinal, I'm not sure that it's going to happen soon I I don't think it's going to happen within the next decade we don't. It would require a team that is not recruiting at an elite level to, to get there. And there's been some teams that haven't recruited well enough to win a title that have made the playoff. Michigan State doesn't recruit at that level, and they made up. They made the playoff. Both Baylor and TCU were within a whisker of, of making the playoff. Oregon made multiple national championship games in the BCS era, and that is the team that jumps out to me as probably being the most likely. And that's just because they have the resources of a team like a Michigan or a, a team like a, um, a USC with, um, in terms of facilities, in terms of um, recruiting budgets. And, you know, if, if Taggart's able to work through, you know, really a pretty terrible first two weeks on the job and, and rebuild that program, um, 
their their infrastructure is is to the is at a level where I think they could get fortunate and, and could compete. Um, I, I know Stanford claims two of these things. They're both before World War II. I don't really know how how strong a claim either of those are. That's a program that I think has a, has a possibility. You know, I don't hate Virginia Tech. Um, and then from there, it, the, the pickings get pretty slim. There's a whole lot of really uh, average teams that, that have won them, but they're all kind of, you know, before 1960. I guess the one team that hasn't won a title in a really long time that you would think would have claimed more than one would be UCLA. You know, 1954 uh, was, was when they claimed their title. That's a, given their location, their money, their, their television access. Uh, that's a team that should be a lot better than it has been. I don't think the coaching's been there, but that's a team that I could, I could potentially, with the right infrastructure, uh, make a run. Yeah, there's a lot of... Like there's a lot of good programs or programs that would stand out to you that haven't claimed one that I don't think can win one, but maybe like you're saying can make a playoff like an Arizona State once every once in a while. Uh, Missouri we've seen have success in the last decade or so. West Virginia is a team that maybe not now, but they're still you know a player in the Big Twelve. So I think there are teams that are gonna have like one-off shots in certain years that we've seen in the past, but. In terms of like prolonged success, I think the list is is basically like you're saying starts with Oregon and maybe Virginia Tech, and then from there it's just kind of slim pickings. We'll put all this here in the post along with the link to who's claiming a title. And if you have a really good argument for another team, please 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 let us know. Uh, you know, I'll, you know, maybe after I finish the book and and get through some more old timey research or something, maybe I'll come around to a, to another program. We're getting close on the 40-minute mark here, so I think we'll go ahead and wrap this up. I want to quickly plug, obviously, our website. There's going to be a ton coming up here on National Signing Day. It's going to be a fun day if you're an Ohio State fan. Obviously, you're an Ohio State fan. You're listening to this, um, and you'll listen to us talk here for the last 37 minutes. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a fun day. We're going to have a lot more about who's coming in, what they bring to the table, and what maybe next year's recruiting class is going to look like because it's not too early. Uh, there's still a ton of space in that room. I think that's going to be a bigger recruiting class. Uh, may not be as historic as this one, but it's still going to have a lot more blue chip guys than not blue chip guys, including, uh, as of right now, an absolutely outstanding quarterback in Emory Jones. Um, so be sure to follow along there. Be sure to follow along with the podcast. We're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. We're on this website. Uh, tell your Buckeye friends. I know there's a lot of Ohio State podcasts out right now. Many of them are very good. We appreciate you. Uh, taking some time with us. Uh, Colton, you got anything else you want to hit these fine people with before we let them go? I thought we were going to talk about new Nebraska defensive coordinator Bob Diaco for 15 minutes, but no, I'm good. We're going to have to talk about handsome Bob <laughs> some, some other time. I, you know, I've got a lot of memes for Mr. Diaco, but... Like a baby lifting a coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get you out of here on that, everybody. I'm Matt. That's Colton. Find us at LandGrantHolyLand.com, LandGrant33 on Twitter, LandGrantHolyLand on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on every, everywhere else. Uh, we look forward to chatting with you more as we close out this historic recruiting class over the next couple of days. In the meantime, thank you for listening, and go Bucks. <laughs>